And I think that was part of what powered my ability to leave a job that I didn't love is knowing that it might take me a year to find a new job. Maybe nobody wants to hire me, but you know what? I'm going to figure it out. Welcome to the Global League of Women, also known as The Glow. We bring together the female voices that address critical issues, stories, and thoughts that affect every aspect of our lives, from business and health to politics and personal struggles. My name is Lisa Carmen Wang, founder and CEO of The Glow, and I believe that stories are the catalyst for change and storytellers the unsung heroes of our time. Change begins with women who have the courage to speak up and challenge the status quo. Are you a woman who's redefining the narrative? Join us. We need your voice. There are many reasons why people stay at jobs they don't like. They're afraid to fail if they try something new. The thought of trying something new seems too difficult. They're afraid to admit they don't like their job. Or they're just complacent, tired, burnt out, and figure work isn't supposed to be fun. That's why it's called work, right? Julia Steele found herself in this position working at a 9-to-5 corporate consulting job. This is a story about how she finally got off the corporate hamster wheel. This is a story about leaving the cult of productivity to align with purpose and impact. This is a story about why sometimes you have to quit in order to win. All my life, I've had this little voice in my head telling me I need to work more, try harder, be better. My therapist refers to it as my internal drill sergeant. The scariest thing for me has always been sitting still. Last year, I decided to step off the precipice of productivity and just sit and just be. This story is about striking the word should from my vocabulary. This story is about quitting in order to win. It was May of this year, and I was in one, a one-on-one meeting with my boss at my corporate management consulting job, one where I'd just been promoted with a raise after three years plus of crushing my development goals and building my team. We were going over some, something tedious in the scope of my marketing role. What conferences should the company leaders show, be showing up at next year? I have some personal news to share, I told my boss, my voice more timid than the corporate warrior tone I'd been perfecting over the past decade at work. She leaned in. Go ahead. I quit. Those two little freeing words just leapt out of my mouth. As we worked through the logistics of her shock, when, when my last day would be, when my benefits would cease, and the team I'd be leaving behind, both elation and terror rose within me with equal weight. Oh, this is what not having a plan feels like. Now, I must call out that quitting one's job without another one lined up is an extremely privileged act. I feel very fortunate that I have savings and a partner who was able to pick up my slack, plus an ability to keep my corporate health insurance through COBRA for the length of my unemployment. My husband and I took my quitting as an opportunity to completely shuffle the deck. We decided to let our apartment lease go and move to his family's house in Maine for three months while we figured it all out. He works for an all-virtual organization, so can work anywhere in the world that there's Wi-Fi. Our last days in New York City were a hectic swirl of packing up and leaving an apartment we loved, 
saying bye for now to our friend, our family and chosen family. The truly terrifying thing, though, was still waiting for me to figure out at our first day in Maine, sitting still. But over the course of two months, I figured it out. I reconnected with nature. I learned how to identify all the flowers in my mother-in-law's garden. I took walks. How novel. I read novels. Like, actually sat down in the middle of the day and read multiple chapters of a book. I finally read Murakami. My favorite book I read was The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, and I was so glad I did because she died just one month later. I ignored the impulse to ABA, always be achieving. I didn't open my laptop for weeks at a time. I got really involved with the political campaign and hosted a debate watch party for Southern Mainers on the porch of my husband's family's home. A career sailor who had thrice circumnavigated the globe by boat taught me how to sail. My job for two months was to have no job. And then on the third, I figured out what I wanted to do. It came to me one day that my experience raising a seed round alongside a male co-founder of my previous startup, Ratter, and the inequality that I experienced firsthand was still pissing me off. And what better to focus a job search than rage? I landed on that I was, I was looking to work at a for-profit company that is solving the wealth, wage, or funding gap for women. And I wanted to work for a diverse women-led company, and one that was based in New York City. It was a tall order, but exactly what I wanted to focus on. And that focus would not have come to me if I was still all hands on deck of my corporate management consulting role. My husband and I arrived back to NYC on Labor Day. It became clear pretty quickly there were only a handful of companies in the city that met my parameters. I worked my network to sniff out opportunities at these places and began work at iFundWomen, aka my dream job, on December 2nd. At iFundWomen, we provide early-stage women entrepreneurs with access to capital, coaching, and community that they need to grow and launch their businesses. Knowing that men get literally 98% of the VC funding, we work tirelessly to show women founders that there is another way. I'm working nearly around the clock at iFundWomen, but it's so gratifying because I give a shit. The best part of my job is having coaching sessions with our entrepreneur clients around the globe about the business problems they're trying to solve. Never before have I seen such a direct positive impact of my work. So my advice to other women on that hamster wheel of a job that doesn't light you up, if you can, quit. There's no time to waste. Life is so too short to not do something you love. How did it feel reading that? It felt really clarifying because I think <laughs> even, even in reflecting on my job search and this summer and all the uncertainty of everything, I had never actually just sat down to reflect on it. So it forced me to do that. Mm. The word you use in the beginning was should, right? And striking the shoulds. Have you lived the majority of your life with that word kind of hanging over your head? Yes, it's what makes me drag my ass out of bed at 6.30 in the morning to go to a boot camp class when it's five degrees out. It's what makes me, you know, it's what made me sit through that job that I have that I didn't love for three and a half years because I literally couldn't see a way out because it was a good paycheck and I was climbing up the corporate ladder. Um, and yeah, it's pervasive in my head for my whole life. And it's still there, but this was the sort of one act of defiance against should. 
Where do you think the should has come from in your life, like from early childhood days? <laughs> I mean, it's very easy to blame one's parents. But I do think that part of it is just nature and how I was born. Um, but I do think that, you know, watching my mom grow up, she when I was growing up, she was definitely the breadwinner of the family. Um, she has a, a corporate job and is like very much uh, motivated by being ambitious and always kind of getting to the top. And I'll note also that I have three older brothers, and so I was the only girl in her brood. Um, so sort of modeling myself after my highly ambitious mom, I would say, is par- definitely part of it. Mm. And what are some of the things you've mentioned, The which I think a lot of people go through, is like the corporate nine-to-five that they're stuck in and feel burnt out or just complete lack of passion in. Um, the like dragging yourself out to go work out, which is a good thing in in many ways, unless you're sacrificing sleep. But um, what are some of the more detrimental shoulds um, that you feel like you've experienced in addition to, let's say, the corporate? Hmm. Let me think about that. I think most of it honestly relates to work. But um, oh, here's one relationships Mm. um previous relationships like work and uh, work and relationships there's so many parallels obviously um and I've definitely stayed in relationships before for long periods of time with multiple different people and I kind of know in the back of my head this is not a person that I'm in love with but I stay in it because I want the end game of getting married and having Mm -hmm. children and that all changed when I met my husband but I think earlier in my 20s, like throughout my whole 20s, actually, the people that I was dating, I should stay with them because they can potentially give me a life that I want. Mm, Like fear of losing that ideal life if you broke it off. Yes. Fear of living a life that is off the beaten path or a fear of being alone. And do you think that's those are the same fears that you had uh, that drove you to stay in your corporate gig? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I was telling myself that this was my path to, you know, I I always have number markers in my mind of the salary that I want to get to. And the thing about salary and checking off those boxes is once you get to your next goal, you're always going to have another goal staring you in the face after that, and it's never going to be enough. And that was a large part of what motivated me to finally quit is that I had gotten this raise and really been doing well at this company, but it still didn't feel like enough. And it was like this endless vacuum of striving. Mm. And so I realized that only when I really am doing something that I'm passionate about am I not going to feel that vacuum. So if you take who you were, let's say at that moment where you're like right before you've made the decision that you want to leave, um, because I imagine that there's just a lot of listeners out there who are like you know, at that place. They haven't made the decision um, they might be feeling this kind of just general lack of motivation. Yeah. Um, what were some of the thoughts that you were having in your mind? What were you feeling like on a day-to-day basis? And then like, what was that moment where you were like, okay. And, and the f- associated feeling when you're like, I got to make this move. Yeah. I, you know, I was driving my friends and family crazy with how unhappy I was at work and all the ways that I nitpicked my boss, the organization, all the things I found wrong with it. And it was one of those moments where I had multiple people tell me, like, 
you have to leave this job. You're very unhappy. Um, and I would give myself justifications of, oh, well, everyone's unhappy at work. That's why they call it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was summer looming. So it was May, like late May, when I had this conversation with my boss. And it was sort of like the stars aligned. Uh, I realized that I could remove myself from New York City, which I think is a big factor for me as well. I grew up in Manhattan. I've always been here. I've always worked here. And it's definitely a place where people strive. It's a place where people have un like they have boundless ambition mm-hmm. and they're just always climbing. And I've never left that environment. And so it was sort of the perfect alignment of I had a job that I didn't like. I had a place that I could go that was not New York. And I had somebody standing next to me that would go with me. Mm. What if you didn't have someone who was standing next to you? What do you think you would have done? Honestly, I think I would have just gone. I would have quit if I had a new job on the horizon. Like mm-hmm. what I normally do when I'm switching jobs is I, you know, you do your job from nine to 6.30 or seven mm-hmm. and then you're sending out applications from 7.30 to 10 and your life is hell for three months. And that's, it's not just about the squeeze on your time. It's also about the lack of clarity that you feel when you're in a job to be able to look on the horizon and see what you want. But you you don't think you would have given yourself the liberty to take some time off I don't think so knowing past iterations of me and not even just like you know I maybe have been in relationships before where I've switched jobs but with less stable partners or those people that I stayed with because I should I always think about it as you have the home life you have your relationship life and you have work life I need at least two things to be going well or the way I want to at once or I kind of mentally implode Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so because like we had somewhere to go and I had a person with me, I feel like I could blow up the job situation. Got it. The idea, this clarity um, that you mentioned, because one thing that I noted while you were reading is that by the time you had spent, you know, some of that downtime, you, it seems like you took the time to really think about what you want. Yeah. Tell me about that process. It was more that I intentionally carved out multiple weeks where I wasn't thinking about it at all and so had that clean slate mentally Mm. and then in the third month where I just like I decided that that was going to be the month where I thought about it everything came to me so much more clearly so really in the first two months when I wasn't thinking about what I wanted to do I was reflecting on past jobs that I had things that I consider my passions writers that I follow just anything that gives me sort of inspiration. Mm -hmm. And then it became very clear to me that it was about women and money. And those are really my two drivers. And I've never worked in those fields before. Um, I just sort of am interested in them. And growing up in New York City, you know, you always have the financial sector sort of like looming over you and, Mm -hmm. and the banks, et cetera. And, you know, was raised by a very strong woman and I'm like a proud feminist and always the person who's helping, you know, mentor women on how to do salary negotiation and all those things. And it's really interesting because when I took the job at iFundWomen and announced it to, you know, everybody in my network, I had got so many notes from people that said, well, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what's really important to point out there is that especially for people who are really ambitious, who are like, 
I got to keep pushing and thinking and pushing and thinking and like analyzing this thing and then I'm going to get the answer. But in fact, the ability to step away from it and like give yourself creative inspiration time and just space, um, it's actually when some of the perhaps the most clarity can come to you. Yeah. And just standing on grass and bare feet. For example, <laughs> connecting to Mother Nature yes, <laughs> is a great practice for that. Tending, tending to a tomato plant or, yeah. you know, just walking outside. Like, yeah. when's the last time you took a walk just yeah. for walk's sake? I mean, that's not yeah. something I do regularly. Yeah. I know it's the dead of winter right now, but <laughs> yeah. think about it. I did, I did walk around the suburbs of New Jersey when I was home. There you go. Is, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think even when you were saying, like, touching your feet to the grass, right? The other thing that stuck out to me was when you're talking about just the the shortness of life and the urgency, um, which is something that I spend a lot of, weirdly a lot of time thinking about, is just like how short life is. And sometimes it's like the reminder of death, even though like right now I'm in, I'm, I'm 31. And, me too. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people are like, oh, you've got, like, plenty of time. Yeah. But it, like, I think when you're passionate about something and you have, like, really big ambitions, you're like, it's just never enough time. Yeah. But there's a way to feel that, like, it's never enough time in a way that there's, like, scarcity, but there's also a way of, like, good urgency of, like, because I want to do so much, but I'm also loving the journey as I'm doing it. Right. And life is so beautiful. And I, I'm also 31, and I just, for the first time this year, got weirdly nostalgic about life and how it's going to end at a certain point, which is never a thought that I had before this year. (laughs) Um, It's just so beautiful and so much fun. And there's so much to learn and so many people to meet that, you know, clocking in to a soulless nine to five job that you're not passionate about just seemed like it was no longer an option. Yeah, there was um, something that I heard somewhere, which was like, uh, I had a friend who's like trying to get to inbox zero. <laughs> aren't we? Aren't we all? <laughs> um, but it's like she's like it's ne- it never ends. And then there's more emails. And then I I like read somewhere it's like you are put on to this earth to do so much more than clean out your inbox. Yeah, exactly. Like that shouldn't be your like marker of success for the day. Well, I could go on about this topic forever, but like the cult of productivity. In society is something that was really had just like leached into my brain and how we always have to kind of be productive and we should always be producing and we always have to be efficient and having maximal efficiency. And my best friend Leah, who lives out in the Bay Area, but she's not a techie type yeah. at all. She works in a nonprofit. Um, she's my best friend from growing up. She will always remind me that not everything has to be efficient. And that sometimes there's a slowness and a a joy that doing things not necessarily in the efficient way can bring that Mm -hmm. can be really beautiful. And so this this summer and this journey I was on was so much about realizing that not every single moment did I have to be producing something into the world. And actually, my whole purpose this summer was to read and be in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about it like um, even when I look back at products when I say products I mean like creations and like art and books that have lasted through generations 
like I always refer to the art of war, mm -hmm. which is like it didn't like make the New York Times bestseller. Like I don't, it didn't even exist back then, and it wasn't for like short-term validation, like hitting a deadline. Right. Um, you think of artists like Van Gogh, right? It's not like they didn't have like a yeah push it out at a certain date. It's like what classic creators used to do is they would sit down with their art and they would figure out what they loved and replicate nature or you know like in their art or they would find things that really resonated with them and they would leave society right and like sometimes for a few years and then they'd come back with a masterpiece right and those were masterpieces that then lasted through generations yeah and i think that there's like with this cult of productivity it's like ship a thing but then that thing doesn't matter like a month from now like yeah. much less years from now exactly um so when you think about like what you're feeling now clearly you're passionate about the work that you're doing just tell me about like what's what is your feeling of purpose feel like these days compared to what it felt like before yeah so the big difference in terms of purpose and personal impact is that at my previous job, I had no connection to the end user. We were selling, ultimately, massive organizational transformation to Fortune 500 companies with hundreds of thousands of employees. And I never got to experience, nor did anyone but a very select few principals at that company, what the sort of like ROI of all of the transformation projects had been inside those organizations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of high level language, they had tons of info about how they are, you know, positively impacting the world, which I'm sure is true. But for me, coming from a more entrepreneurial background and really wanting to just see the direct impact of my work day to day, it's so much more present at iFundWomen where, you know, we do these coaching calls with women entrepreneurs all around the country and actually around the world. I was speaking with a, a woman of color entrepreneur in Australia who's building out a network for like women of color in the media in Australia yesterday. And about how she can broaden her impact and just people you would never speak to on your day-to-day -day journey. And what they all tell us is that I found women is so helpful. It helped me get my business off the ground. And knowing that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the headlines about raising money is about raising VC. And like, you know, if you work in um, the startup ecosystem, you can, you know, name the top five VCs off the top of your head. But the reality is that, you know, 99.9% .9 of companies are never going to access that VC money. So what do all the people with brilliant and innovative ideas do, particularly women who have an especially hard time securing funding, whether it's through small business loans, VC, et cetera, they put themselves in debt and it even furthers the wealth gap for women in the country and in the world. And so, you know, introducing a, a new path forward for really innovative women that are just trying to get their very initial prototypes and proofs of concept off the ground is so gratifying to me. And I see that impact, direct impact that I'm having every single day. And so it's night and day with what I was dealing with with my previous job where I just couldn't see the impact at all. Mm. And do you think that's, do you feel that that's true for like a lot of corporate or were there other reasons why you were unhappy? I think that was the main one. You know, there's things that I could get into the weeds about management styles of people mm. or, but really at the end of the day, 
I need to be able to see the impact of my work because I just want to give myself over to like what I can be giving to the world. And I, it's important for me to actually see the end result. Like I have to see to believe. Mm. Um, and to the point of clarity, like what's, what's interesting, because this is like parallels my own journey when I left. Um, I came from the hedge fund world like five years ago before I leapt into entrepreneurship, is that I think for a lot of people who actually do take the leap, they're able to distill like first order things that make them happy. Yeah. So you're like women and money. Yeah. Um, and they're like first degree emotions that they want to feel. How did you, like what sorts of things did you reflect on to make you realize like, okay, there's these two things? Yeah, I think I definitely reflected on that seminal experience that I had as a startup co-founder. I co-founded a startup called Radder uh, back in 2013, which was a network of local news websites. So we set out to reinvent local news for the internet, knowing that all the local papers were or already shuttered. Um, It sort of grew out of Gawker Media, which was my first job. Um, Gawker Media made an investment in us and we were using their technology, um, but we needed to raise some additional seed capital and we did so via a bunch of angel investors, but we also pitched some more traditional VCs. And I remember, you know, I had made the pitch deck and was instrumental in the sort of operations and modeling of the company. And um, I went into the pitch meetings with my male co-founder and I would speak and they would kind of look him in the eye and not me. Mm. And so the typical things that you hear when women are pitching VCs, and it really, you know, it put a bee in my bonnet for sure. Um, But I just sort of left it there. And then, you know, in 2015, the startup like imploded for many reasons as you know nine nine out of ten startups do and so the corporate job was really an overcorrection of you know having this failed startup that was so stressful where I was working around the clock I had you know broken up with somebody because I was so depressed and I gained a bunch of weight and all those startup foundry things (laughs) and so I just wanted to go somewhere where there were adults in the room so to speak and the company had been around for 25 years it was very profitable their client list includes Howard Schultz and Oprah and all these like really bold-faced names and that was wonderful I think I just kind of calcif- got kind of calcified and I shouldn't have stayed there three and a half years. I should have been there two years and made some connections and then moved on to my next more entrepreneurial yeah. endeavor. Yeah. So it's like that. And then you mentioned the word rage, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh, also parallel to my story. Um, <laughs> but I think that I think anger is um, it's good when channeled the right way. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. There's there's nothing more powerful in the world than an angry woman. Yeah, it's like <laughs> hell hath no fury. Like exactly, a woman scorned. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that was so. Th- you know that story about raising funds and feeling that firsthand sort of inequality of those conversations definitely fueled the rage, and it just sort of stuck with me. And then once I had some distance from the corporate job. I was able to go back to that and say, hmm, why is this still sitting with me? Why am I still angry about this? Because, you know, you continue to read the headlines about VC funding and how 98% of men get the VC funding. Those numbers haven't changed. Mm -hmm. They haven't gotten better. 
And there's tons of, you know, women-led VCs now who are putting money into uh, women, women-led women firms that are, you know, they and their investment thesis is investing in women because women are actually smarter bets and make higher revenue as time goes on. However, the overall landscape is not improving. Yeah. I mean, that was a lot of my work in my previous company as well, just directly addressing the funding gap. And it. it it really is ironic because there's so much activity and like lip service being paid to it, but it doesn't tackle any of the underlying challenges. And this is specifically what the GLOW tackles, which is that it's not about how many tactics you learn at the end of the day. It's really about like your confidence and belief in yourself and this like belief that your product is going to work. It's going to serve people. It's going to impact people. Because when you think of why it is that so many men raise, of course, there's the fact that 94% of venture investors are also men. Mm -hmm. But it's this like undying confidence in themselves that like this is going to be a billion dollar company. Yep. And we just don't get that instilled in us because hashtag patriarchy. (laughs) The dominant narrative. (laughs) Exactly. And I think what is so refreshing about iFundWomen is that instead of just paying lip service to this topic um, or, you know, being we in my management consulting role, we dealt a lot with diversity and inclusion tactics for large scale organizations. But iFundWomen is has built something that fundamentally changes women's access to capital. So helps them launch crowdfunding campaigns, map their networks so they can effectively crowdfund, and also access grants, which we're now brokering through corporate partners that take them totally outside of this broken for women VC landscape. Mm -hmm. So for entrepreneurs who are listening to this and they're like, um, tried out the VC thing, maybe still want to try out the VC thing, maybe considering I fund women. What are like what are the suite of opportunities that like women should be thinking of you know, beyond all of the initial kind of options that we've mentioned? Yeah, you mean suite that is offered within I fund women or with generally the, the general yeah yeah landscape. So there are a number of places um, where you can access grants. That is definitely a thing, whether they're corporate grants. Yeah, government government grants and corporate grants. And then there's also small business loans, um, which is an option. However, women, because the algorithms of the big banks tend to be biased against women, women do receive higher interest rates Mm. and worse terms than their male counterparts, despite us being savvier with money. (laughs) Um, You definitely, if you're very like early starting out, should consider crowdfunding, I think, on iFundWomen, although you could do it on something like Kickstarter. Um, And then... I guess you could max out your credit card, but that's not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And then understanding just like the difference between an angel investor is a individual person who gets in on the ground floor of a company that's just being founded and they are very much an individual versus a venture capital firm. Like we coach on this all the time Mm -hmm. at iFundWomen. A venture capital firm has actually raised a fund usually to address a certain issue that they have an investment thesis on um, and that they would be looking generally to see kind of a 10x return. So for 99.9% of uh, founders, that's not going to be the way to go. Yeah. And in addition, there's the added pressure. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget this is that venture capitalists are middlemen. 
right? Yep. They they have to, they're actually constantly fundraising from limited partners, have the pressure, and the reason why they need 10x is because they need to return the money to their investors. Um, and so you're, unlike when you're raising from an angel investor, it's like, you know, it's they're not reporting to anybody. Yep. But as a VC, it's like they have bosses too. So they're actually not really the ones in control. Yep. And another thing to understand about VCs and frankly, angel investment rounds is you're giving away ownership stake in your company. Mm -hmm. So VCs or angels are going to be taking equity out of your business that for all intents and purposes, you're not ever going to be able to get back. Um, And so crowdfunding, you know, we're a rewards-based crowdfunding platform at iFundWomen. And so what that means is people are investing in you but not taking equity of your company. You are giving them a reward in the in the form of a product that you sell or a subscription to what you're trying to get off the ground in exchange for them giving you money, which mm. acts as your startup capital. So it, it is like Kickstarter rewards-based type crowdfunding yes. specifically for women. And there's also, um, there are also equity crowdfunding platforms mm-hmm. that you can look into. Um, however, I think where possible, particularly as a former startup founder, not giving up, up your equity is the name of the game. Um, when it comes to equity, so even your past experience, mm-hmm. um, what was your experience in giving up equity or that you wish you had done differently in that fundraising process? I said this on my first interview with Karen Khan, our founder yeah. at iFundWomen. I wish iFundWomen had been around in 2013 when we were launching Radder because we would have done things completely differently. Mm. Crowdfunding is, especially rewards-based crowdfunding, is a wonderful way to prove demand for your business, to hone the messaging, to hone the product, to have to go through the marketing steps of putting your product in front of an audience of people without uh, investing in the supply. So we did things ass backwards. We didn't have a product yet. We had a very dumbed down sort of prototype of what the website would look like. We had no interest from Mm -hmm. advertisers. We had no business model. And just basically on our charm alone, went out and raised $1.1 million in angel investing and an angel investing round. And that was irresponsible because what I know now about, you know, needing to prove demand I would not have gone out about it in that way. Mm-hmm. And I wish that iFundWomen had been around. What was that experience like talking to the investors after the company like imploded? So this could be a subject of a whole other podcast, <laughs> but the implosion of the company was related to um, Hulk Hogan lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan brought a suit against Gawker Media for publishing a sex tape of him back in like 2013 or maybe even before that. And... Um, my co-founder was actually the writer of that story. Mm. And so he was having to go down to Florida to be on this First Amendment trial all the time when we were trying to get our business off the ground. And when it became clear that Hulk Hogan was going to win this, you know, $200 million judgment, we were no no longer able to really carry on doing the business. We sort of crumbled under the weight of the lawsuit, the bankruptcy that, my co-founder was filing and all of those sort of moving parts that were related Mm -hmm. to the lawsuit. It was related to him personally, not even Gawker. Yes. Well, Gawker Media, AJ Delario, and um, 
yeah, Gawker Media and AJ and Nick Denton, the founder of Gawker, were named as the defendants. Mm. So it was impossible for us to carry on. And I had to do a lot of the messaging to our investors and saying, you know, we're sunsetting the entity. We are going to return whatever capital we have left in the bank. And sorry. And that was one of the scariest yeah. things I've ever had to do. <laughs> yeah. But what what I realized going through the process is that angel investors understand that this happens. It's a risky business. It's a risky business, and they wouldn't be in it if they didn't have an appetite for risk. And I've actually maintained relationships with a couple of the investors, and they've been really kind throughout the process. And I will say that what it really taught me is that failure is okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of what powered my ability to leave a job that I didn't love is knowing that it might take me a year to find a new job. Maybe nobody wants to hire me, but you know what? I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think one thing that they never tell the, as you said, the ABAs, the always be achieving people, <laughs> is that it's like we're taught to go on this train track, right? It's like need to keep going in this like straight line, but it's like life's not a straight line it's not like a straight track to the right destination and it's like I think someone was saying to me it's like a, it's like a shit tornado with just like <laughs> with like gold bricks that are kind of swirling around and you're just in this shit tornado and like trying to grab gold bricks I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna steal that shit tornado <laughs> shit tornado 2020 coming at you and then it's like well how are you supposed to stay clean it's like we well, can't because it's a shit tornado <laughs> <laughs> And maybe staying clean is not the point. Yeah. But it's like sometimes you gotta you have to be derailed for you to actually become liberated and like freed from your own uh like ABA mentality. Exactly. Sometimes quitting is the way to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um so when you think about like even just you just started iFundWomen um at this new role and like what are you what are you thinking about like your impact like what does success look like to you now so success would be two-pronged one that when a woman is thinking about launching a business that they think of i fund women first as their as their squad that's going to help them make it happen and the second thing would be and this is something that we're very interested in looking at this year is that if people are interested in supporting women-led businesses, which many people are, that they go to iFundWomen to check out and fund women. Mm. So since it's rewards-based, there's tons of women-made, women-owned products on iFundWomen. So looking more at backers and how we can encourage people to come and just be supporting and funding people that are outside of their networks. Mm. Do you have a lot of women on there who are not necessarily creating like physical products but also services or what else like technology yeah there's actually been a spate recently of women who have launched um, co-working spaces and communities Mm -hmm. so ethel's club which is a wellness and co-working space for people of color in brooklyn and bushwick that just launched that was an iPhone Women project. Luminary NYC is an iPhone Women project. Mm-hmm. In Minneapolis, we have the Coven 
iFundWomen Project. And these are all spaces where um, women can come together and be with like-minded people. You know, we're recording this episode in the Assemblage Nomad, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure started out in somebody's mind as, okay, this is going to be a kind of like wellness-focused co-working space. And I'm not sure how they got their initial seed capital, but if they were founded by a woman, it could have been on iFundWomen. And what were the rewards they were giving? So memberships to the space, for sure. You know, depending on what kind of co-working space they're trying to build, they could offer coaching if they have, you know, mentors and people that work on their leadership team. Um, They could offer professional headshots for people in the space, free meeting rooms and event spaces to hold different workshops. Um, So people get really creative with their rewards and they try to make them, you know, they try to make it so from low to high budget that there's something for everyone. Awesome. Um, so for any of you out there who are listening and thinking about fundraising, definitely check out I Fund Women. Thank you so much for sharing all of this incredible insight, both into the mental transformation, professional transformation, and um, all of that. And last question for you is, what does it mean to you to be a woman? I think women for too long have been told that we have to be a certain way. I think woman is everything. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Her Voice. At The Glow, we believe that her voice matters. We're redefining the dominant narrative one voice at a time. If you have a story or struggle you want to share, head over to theglow.org. I'm here for you to listen, to guide, or just to hold space. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love your support with a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your favorite quote on Instagram at Glow Voices, and you can find me at Lisa Carmen Wang. Never forget, your voice matters.